know you've missed me. It's been a day hey, we're not supposed since to you had me here. Well, we didn't touch hands, right? <laughs> so we're going to talk about uh, new solutions and connectivity. And we're going to we're going to educate as well as try and give you some hints as to what we're seeing in the space. So, are you ready? Sure. Get ready. We're ready. Okay. So this session is on new solutions and connectivity. We're going to be talking about a variety of different things, continuing on the Bluetooth topic a little bit, but talking more about low power, wide area, private LTE where we are with some Bluetooth and as well as Wi-Fi 6. And then obviously, if we can get into 2, 3, 4, 5, and 17G, which is what we're coming out with. We're going to come out with 17G and see if we can make any money. You guys are already with that right now, right? Uh, uh, yeah, we're, we released <laughs> it already. So anyway, so why don't we take a few seconds to introduce each other and tell the audience why you're here because you are experts. So you Sarah. want us to introduce ourselves or Sarah, introduce you know, each introduce other? yourself. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, okay, I, I good think we all everybody. know each other. We've done this a few times. A few times. <laughs> uh, my name is Sarah Brown. I'm Vice President of Marketing for Multitech. Uh, Multitech uh, develops and manufactures communications equipment for the Internet of Things, um, which covers many, if not all, of the protocols we'll discuss during this session. So. I'm excited to talk about it with you. And I'm Steve Baker, Vice President of Product Management at Core Wireless. Core Wireless is a IoT solution enabler. Uh, every, every, everything from professional services, quite a lot of connectivity, and uh, as well as uh, professional services and um, uh, getting into some solutioning now with our latest acquisition. Excellent. And my name is Steve Brummer. I am a founding partner of a company called BH IoT Group. We're a worldwide uh, solution strategy ex execution focused consulting firm. We help companies, both carriers as well as software and hardware providers of trying to figure out how to make money in this space, how to bring products to market on a worldwide basis. So if any of you have sat in on my sessions the last couple of days, you can know that you know from our standpoint, we have to know a lot about a lot of things. And so this is another one of the classic cases. So all right, so we're going to get into it. Uh, this is a very open atmosphere since we're at this point of the show and this point of the stage. So if you have questions, you don't have to wait to the end. Just raise your hand, and we'll figure it out on the way, OK? So we don't have to wait till the end. Sarah. Yes, sir. Tell us what's new in connectivity. Uh, well, uh, for us, what we're getting really excited about right now is um, private networks. Um, we're five years in now with LoRaWAN technology, which is a low-power, wide-area networking technology designed for a long battery life, really power-optimized, um, good in building penetration for places like warehouses. Um, interestingly, that is an open protocol which gives you more flexibility than um, many connectivity technologies have provided in the past in that you can purchase your network services from a uh, network service provider like Core, um, or you can deploy your own private enterprise network. And we have found a lot of traction over these past five years as we have been early to market with those products um, and beginning to be really commercialized at scale at this point a lot of traction in the private enterprise space. Coincidentally, 
as uh, the 5G uh, technology begins to roll out around the globe, um, it's opening the door also for some private cellular networking and the very same motivating factors that enterprises have uh, discussed with us around deploying their own private LoRaWAN networks apply as well to private cellular networks. Um, the U.S. is leading the way in terms of spectrum liberalization um, to enable private networking um, with the CBRS Alliance, uh, what they call ONGO uh, technology. And uh, for uh, endpoints, Multitech is one of the first to commercialize those. And if I'm honest with you, we've, we've had a, a, a really good background with the LoRaWAN to apply our, our expertise in private networking to this new technology play. Um, but when we first started sampling and commercializing these products, I don't think any of us had any real sense of how much that was gonna resonate uh, with the community. Um, we are, have deployed hundreds and hundreds into um, proof of concepts now. They just, the FCC just green-lighted commercial use, um, and so we're already out there in the marketplace today. A lot, a lot of traction, and I think that's gonna continue because the 5G protocols are gonna enable that same kind of um, private networking and network control. I think when you look into manufacturing facilities and warehouses, um, it's not too hard to understand why um, having principal control over your own network is compelling, particularly when you start to think of mission critical applications um, and data security. That really resonates with them. So we're very excited about what's happening in private LTE. Um, U.S. is first. We're seeing activity in other regulatory bodies around the world, so we fully expect that to happen elsewhere on planet Earth uh, relatively soon. Um, and that will transition well into 5G technology as well. Steve, what, do you, what are you seeing? What's customers coming to core for as it relates to connectivity options? Yeah, exactly. And what's so, selling? Uh, well, exactly what, what um, she just actually went over. So um, we're in a position at core to provide the back end piece to the, uh, the private LTE, oh, water, the private LTE and private 5G networks. And what we're seeing actually is more uptake as well and interest from um, Thank you, James. I interest in uh, Europe, actually, with large corporations, uh, especially around the need for the high density, uh, the ability to handle the, the sheer diversity of the, um, uh, the the devices within the warehouse, but also the fact that they can they're they're starting to get to a point where the, the corporations want as much control as to be able to have sponsored uh, roaming capability. So. They're providing the, uh, their own employees with the cellular technology in-house, but have roaming capabilities and uh, relationships with carriers directly to roam outside and, and internationally. Uh, these are global corporations. They have multiple sites. They need to be able to handle both on-site uh, and on-prem uh, private networking with security. But think of extending, say, an SD-WAN type capability over public cellular networks uh, using your own MZ range. And we're getting a lot of interest in that today. How many people here in the audience have deployed a private wireless network in your facility? One, two, kind of. Uh, does everybody understand how it works or how a private LTE works? Do you want to get a little one-on-one -on -one from it? Yes? No? Yes? Okay. Sarah. Tell us a little bit about, uh, 
private LTE, so LTE we're running now today on tier one carriers. Mm -hmm. What does it mean from a private LTE? Do they have to get licenses? Do you have to connect to an AT&T or a carrier? How does it work? Tell us a little bit about that. So with private LTE today, and I will limit this conversation to the US because that's where uh, your the regulatory bodies are supporting it, and that's where we happen to be sitting today, right? Um, the big difference uh, between buying services from a carrier uh, from a network deployment standpoint and rolling your own is you're going to have to have a base station, right? You're going to have to have some kind of a network base station to cover whatever area you're trying to cover. Um, if you're managing IT or facilities at a place like a major international airport or a, a high activity conference center or a major sports arena, um, it's not really cost prohibitive anymore to roll a base station into that facility. Um, and once you have that, it's, it's functionally like a network server for a Wi-Fi network. Now you've taken something that you used to buy um, as an operational expense every month from an outside third party and you've built it into a capital expense which gives you all kinds of new fun uh, you know, accounting ways to manage that cost, uh, right? But it also gives you complete control. Um, and, and I think it's really interesting to think of it as an alternative to Wi-Fi networks because in those spaces, um, that's frequently what uh, is driving some of the pickup. Um, because we're all familiar with Wi-Fi networks. We've done that, right? Don't you get annoyed when people at hotels want to charge you like $12 a day to connect to their Wi-Fi? It's a piece of equipment and a network they rolled, you know, at least 15 years ago. Why are they still charging you for it? It's ridiculous, no, no, right? The best is when you have to, uh, I want the enhanced internet connection, <laughs> right. the Marriott. Extra, extra broadband, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. um, so thank God for Marriott status. Yeah. I don't have yeah. to worry about that. So one, one thing to add to that is uh, if you think about uh, Wi-Fi, putting out 30 radios over a campus or a warehouse, as opposed to with LTE or even 5G small cell, putting out three or four base stations to cover an incredibly, uh, a much larger area, if you will. Um, so the economics begin to play back, of course, the difference being that you do have to have a core network to manage those base stations. And that's where a lot of companies like Core come in, where we're using virtualized cores, network slicing, and further cutting up uh, those cores into small pieces that are affordable to manage these sites. Um, so the economics are becoming uh, much more palatable for major corporations. Um, we talked a little bit about the licensing. So in private uh, networks, private cellular networks, uh, typically there's, there's only a few cases. Obviously we talked about CBRS here in the States, which is hopefully ratified and we get the 3.5 gig shared spectrum. Um, but uh, in Europe, the carriers will relegate their own spectrum that they've purchased and allow customers or corporations to use that on their sites, and they'll manage that overlap. So they're, they're, the, the flexibility in it uh, is growing. And I wouldn't be surprised to see these types of private networks with an, an enhanced packet core with the security and the density and the capacity begin to use things other than cellular as, um, as uh, 
radio access networks, um, and I'm thinking more along the lines of maybe Wi-Fi 6 as, as potential leader, because Wi-Fi 6 is beginning to look a lot more like cellular radio. You opened up the door, so let's go to Wi-Fi 6. How many people understand and know what Wi-Fi 6 is? How many know what Wi-Fi 5 is? Well, we've never bought a Wi-Fi 5 box. So what, no, uh, what the hell's <laughs> the difference? So tell us about 5 versus 6. Right, so most of you probably have Wi-Fi 5 today. Um, uh, well, how the hell would we know? 802.11.ac. It's not on the outside of the Netgear box. I know, right? Um, a, a lot of you may know this, but the Wi-Fi Alliance actually came out and decided, gosh, you know, calling things 802.11n or 802.11ab or 802.11ac doesn't roll off the tongue. So with the newest Wi-Fi, which, by the way, is available on your, at your store today, which I'm shopping routers as we speak, um, they decided to go with a simple nomenclature. Um, while the technology is 802.11.ax or AY, they decided Wi-Fi 6 would be a better marketing term. So 802.11ac, which you would have in your house probably today, is Wi-Fi 5. Um, pretty simple, pretty, uh, pretty robust. But why that technology um, is more interesting to us. Um, a couple of quick data points. Four times the, uh, the uh, encrypt, I mean, four times the uh, QAM. So 802.11ac is a, a 256 QAM, uh, AX uh, 1024. So a much better utilization of the spectrum. It's actually leveraging now the same technologies that you'll find in an LTE network for multiple access. So what that does is allow for multiple simultaneous users uh, to increase, as well as the overall capacity and density to increase in a Wi-Fi hotspot. So, um, and these are the same technologies that have been deployed on base stations. So I, I like it because it seems to be taking a step towards cellular type capabilities and becoming more industrialized for the warehouse or the industry mark, indus industrial market, excuse me. So I think you've just kind of tapped into something that maybe it's maybe it's me. It's a little bit of a pet peeve of mine. Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi six, 802.11a, a, b, c, f, whatever. Um, and I think this is really important in the context of this conversation. We're going to talk about a lot of different available technologies and what they can do for you and how they differ from each other. But the real question my customers want to know is. Is this going to solve my problem? Really? And when you get to, and is it going to solve my problem in a way that I can afford, that I can manage the cost and manage the, the actual um, functionality in a way that doesn't disrupt but enhances my operations? Um, and I think folks like us who, who work every day in these technologies tend to get really deep into the nitty gritty um, and forget that that's, a, that's the real question. And there are for sure some really important differences in how each of these technologies address particular use cases inside your warehouse or your manufacturing facility, um, which, which lead to choosing one over another, what's more optimal for this use case versus that use case. However, um, the real question that we need to be thinking about and talking about is, you know, what, is, what are the day-to-day problems that you're facing when you're managing your supply chain and your operations, and what are the right technologies that
that fit that, and how do you make uh, the math around that use case compelling for your upper management? So we're hearing a lot in the industry about Wi-Fi 6 being a great IoT you know, connectivity option that exists for warehousing as well as hotels and public spaces. Do we see that as a better alternative, the same type of delivery, uh, simultaneous users goes up, uh, less expensive? Tell us a little bit about why I would choose Wi-Fi 6 versus LoRa inside an off inside a warehouse or something like that. Well, you know, I, I I'd say it's more complementary. Um, I, I I rarely so see. So you would have both simultaneous, from a. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I see more and more use cases today that leverage at least two to three technologies to get the solution to be complete, um, in varying degrees. Um, you know, Wi-Fi 6 is, is added the ability to extend battery life of the devices. Um, it, uh, it, it has the speed increase, the capacity increase, and WP th uh, WPA3, which is a security enhancement. Can it match LTEs? N not yet. It's not there yet. So you may see a hybrid situation where the Wi-Fi 6 is used in certain locations and in certain uh, areas within a warehouse or industrial campus, whereas cellular is still the broader range technology. You're going to have a lot of Wi-Fi 6 routers. That hasn't really changed. But the cellular aspect, it's three or four base stations covering kilometers. Um, and, and that's a whole different model. Uh, the propagation of cellular still takes takes the, the, the blue ribbon there, right? So um, to Sarah's point, though, is it, there's not a one size fits all here. Each solution, e each situation is going to require a different set of uh, technologies to solve the problem, right down to Bluetooth, our previous speaker, right? So it could be a combination of all three of those. Yeah, for sure. I think we're going to find, um, for all the talk in the industry about, is this technology going to beat that technology, Wi-Fi 6 versus uh, LTE or 5G, you know, LTWA LoRaWAN versus NB-IoT. I don't, I, I just don't see, as you said, uh, a, a single winner. I see us operating in a very hybrid uh, circumstance wherever we may find ourselves. And, and, and I don't think we should be surprised about that because we're doing that right now. So the question was why, if, I'm if I have a warehouse, why would I buy multiple optional connectivity? Why would I want to deploy two technologies to buy, you know, to buy a whole infrastructure? I'm, I'm with him. That's a great question because why would I? I mean, I know that you're putting multiple connectivity products and options into each box that you sell, right. but that's a great question. Yeah. I, well, I mean, so, so you buy a gateway. Okay, you deploy a gateway. It probably already communicates using multiple technologies. In our case, uh, we might sell you a gateway that has cellular technology, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, uh, BLE, LoRaWAN, all built into a single box. Um, and, then, and then you have to get down to, okay, what's the gateway talking to? 
And that's where you boil it down. I mean, is it overkill to pay for a cellular connection on something that's only sending five bits of data a day, if at all, right? I mean, maybe you can get something for pennies on the dollar um, and you're only sending information in an alert type situation. Why pay for more connectivity than you really need? And if you can deploy a single, you know, gateway box that can communicate to BLE and Wi-Fi and cellular and LoRaWAN or some other technologies, it'd be Bluetooth, whatever, um, you know, it, that's one box. So the, the price isn't going to vary that much. Um, but when you get down to the end point, okay, am I monitoring uh, the engine that's running a conveyor belt and also how many boxes uh, exited the end of this line um, those are two different things, right? Do I only want to hear from this thing if it's broken? That means it might only transmit, a, you know, a few bits of data once a year if you're unlucky, right? Uh, if you're lucky, the damn thing never transmits anything. So why pay for it? I mean, to your point about cost, I think finding the technology inside your warehouse for each of those different use cases, which are candidly, they're very different use cases. Some of them you're gonna want constant eyes on, you're gonna want you know, video streaming maybe for access control, perimeter control, and then, and then you want something that just raises its hand and says, uh-oh, I'm stuck once in a while. Sir, do you have a question? No, I was gonna make a comment oh. on that. Um, I can count the ways of why you would deploy multiple technologies. You know, maybe I'm too simplistic, but I grew up on a farm in Iowa and my dad taught me to use the right tool for the right job, right? I can reach into my toolbox and pull out a crescent wrench and pound in a nail, but should I be doing that? <laughs> no, I'll probably break the crescent wrench. I should be using the damn hammer, right? Use the right technology for the right job, but most of the people that I've talked to that are asking that very question aren't looking at it from how valuable is the information, not the data, the information that comes out of there? There's a difference between data and information, right? Information is, is, is purified data points, right? And if you actually move to that next level where we're seeing a lot of people move to, where the value of the information from the data, from the package or the box or the, the equipment that they have in their warehouse or manufacturing place actually becomes the new value of the company, right? That's when connectivity is a rounding error, right? Connectivity truly becomes, and, and, and utilizing these different co connectivity types becomes a rounding error. Sorry, I'll get off my soapbox now, but. No, I'll add one last thing. I think another concern you probably have, how many networks do I have to manage? So, and, and I'm gonna do a shameless plug here, but companies like Core and other companies as well are getting better and better in focusing on bringing multiple technologies to people in a single pane of glass, a single management style. And so we have solutions that we work on that include uh, Wi-Fi, cellular, and Bluetooth, and managing all that in a single management uh, purview for someone like you makes that using the right tool to fit the job much, much, much easier. So it's not incumbent on you to go manage all three of those technologies, but people are out there that can do that for you now. Okay, let's shift gears again. 
So when we look at the overall costs of these various networks that are there, are you selling ROI? Are you selling the, just the capabilities and the advantages that your products or your offering has over everybody else? What's the decision process being made by people in a warehouse situation? Um, yes, I mean, everyone's looking for a return on their investment and we want to make, uh, make that happen. It, it, it can be relatively short time to return um, to that break-even point where your project paid for itself. Um, but I think there's more to it than that, as, as Stephen just alluded to. Um, how do you do it in a way that is a minimal impact on your existing operation? You know, you, you want to do something that's going to dramatically improve your results without dramatically transforming your operational profile. Um, and I think that's a huge value uh, that people see. It's not so easy to monetize. Um, that said, I think a lot of people go into these kind of uh, deployments unaware of the total return that they're going to get. We see time and time again people go in and they build a very specific purpose-built uh, approach to a very specific pain point that they're feeling. Um, and then they get to you know their break-even point, then they start making money and getting a return on that investment. And holy cow, they just realized now that they have this stuff in place, they could also do this. And they never thought about that before, but they've already got the infrastructure in place. It's already paid for itself. Why not add on and build? And I, I kind of call that sort of like the hidden value of IoT. People go into uh, IoT deployments with a very specific reason. Um, and then they come out of it down the road, not six months, not a year, but you know, five years later and realize, man, we, we broke even at six months, we started making money on this in month seven, and now all of a sudden we've not just solved this one problem, we've transformed our entire business. Yeah, I, I'd add to that um, something that James actually brought up a minute ago. If somebody, if we're talking to somebody about, if you think of IoT, it's always a device connectivity to the internet, as we're talking today, and the actual application or the data, right? If we're talking about one of those elements with a customer, it's not an ROI discussion, it's a price discussion. You know, yours is more expensive or less expensive than so-and-so's. Um, we're spending a lot more time talking about, not, not necessarily the, the endpoint solution, but as much of the IoT stack as we can when we talk to a customer, all the way up to the data management, the data presentation, we can take care of all of this. So when we when we get into that level, uh, it, it becomes an ROI discussion. It becomes a much simpler task to, as I said, your operational question earlier was, you know, probably around um, how do I manage multiple networks? Well, find people that can do that for you and operate at a, a, a much smaller price operationally because we're amortizing it across so many different customers. So, all right, got to change subjects again. So one of the things within a warehouse when we're looking at a variety of different connectivity options is location. So we just got done working with a top four pharmaceutical company in the world. We're in the warehouse, they have 
pharmaceutical products that are in containers or bins or buckets of, of products, and they are forklift around the complex. It's a you know, huge warehouse complex, uh, a manufacturing facility and loading. And one of the problems that they had is they wanted to know where that bin was just in case it failed on Q quality control before it gets put into a box or a tablet uh, container. Uh, today, it's almost impossible. It's, everything is barcoded. They have codes on the top. The forklifts got code machines, uh, code guns, and they're doing it. And we looked at beacon technology. We looked at Bluetooth. We looked at off of LoRa inside the warehouse. How are we going to be able to know with, on our three-track racks, you know, that back pallet has got what we need. Any thoughts around location and the various data options and network connectivity options inside a warehouse? Okay. Uh, indoor location is uh, the holy grail of location That's kind of why I was going down that for road. For sure. Um, and it's a conversation that I've had with a lot of people um, for, for many years, um, even to the point where I'm going, you know, if you're within a meter, for sure you can see it. You don't need to get that much tighter than that. And they're like, no, no. Then you start talking about vials of specific medications and things like that. Right? Um, you know, the things that I have seen customers doing that seem to um, get as accurate as I've been exposed to are leveraging multiple technologies. I mean, location ultimately is built uh, by triangulation. Can you build multiple triangles on top of each other and get the center point of, that, of those layered triangles tighter and tighter and tighter? Absolutely, yes, you can. And so uh, I've seen customers do uh, assisted GPS coming inside from outdoors. Um, and then on top of that original position, going with Bluetooth beacons, Wi-Fi triangulation, cellular Wi triangulation, SS and LoRaWAN triangulation, so that you've got uh, several layers of uh, triangles. Um, getting down to a single, you know, vial of medication, I, I can't wait to see it, but I don't know that it can be done today. We may be retired by then. Bluetooth Maybe. tags. Yeah. Bluetooth that we saw in the last presentation, it's tagging things, the tile, if you will. That's about the option outside RFID that's, that's just about as granular as you can get economically. What, James, do you have something to say again? Oh, God. Just because his Here name is on the board, I have to do this. Because he's a paying me so much big bucks to be <laughs> here, I might as well. <laughs> no, ac actually, um, in, in utilizing cellular technologies, there actually is something that's down sub a meter right now. Yeah. And from a z-axis um, uh, within four meters. Yeah, but again, I, it's, I, an I, it's a, another different, back to his point, another communication model. No, it's 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 the same thing that everybody else uses. It's a version of trilateration, right? Well, and, and, and you can also add like altitude, altimeters, and things like that to get you on that z-axis, which I've seen as well. well. Polaris Wireless actually does the z-axis and has been for about 15 years. They actually work with a three-letter agency that we can't mention that begins with N, right? Um, and if, if you traveled outside the United States and, and logged into with a U.S. cell phone into any um, other nations uh, or any other network from a different nation, you've actually downloaded uh, by accident a widget so that actually the 
the U.S. federal government is tracking you when you're overseas from a safety standpoint. Okay? They're utilizing that technology today. Problem, and, and Verizon actually, this company built out a full IoT solution for Verizon, and it never got deployed. Why? Because Verizon changed its IoT management in the, in, in the middle of it, and they don't know who to, who to talk to over there. The technology's there, right? And, and I'm sure the technology has been dead, done by somebody else as well and dead and buried because everybody keeps fighting with each other over, and I heard it a couple times on here, assisted GPS. But I think the other thing that you, you mentioned earlier, James, that plays a role um, there's a lot of things that are possible that you don't see broadly deployed um, because the value of that information is not high enough to cover the multiple technologies you have to use to get to that piece of information, right? So when somebody decides that something, you know, that I can sell for $30 um, is worth $1,000 to track, then, then maybe you start to see that pick up. I mean, the federal government finding where we are when we're overseas maybe is, I hope so, right? But, uh, but some of the stuff that uh, we're handling on a day-to-day -day basis in the supply chain doesn't meet that criteria. And, and most of the stuff that gets ultimately gets deployed starts at a cell phone level or a person personal level and makes its way into the device, right? We, Stephen and I talked about that earlier today. How, how stuff starts at the carrier and then makes it into machine-to-machine into -machine or IoT stuff. Um, and I don't know if you guys have seen this, but both this week, uh, NBC and CNN are talking about the quality of location services for cellular handsets and are doing big exposés on it because they can't, people are dying because um, the, the location accuracy isn't there. And the CTIA has an actual mandate of 2021 and Z-axis is gonna be part of that and, and greater granular location is part of that, so. Keep going. Okay, just checking. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things I wanted to talk about was platforms and the integration and how that affects connectivity. Uh, James and I talk at 650, 900, 85,000 different platforms that are out there. Both of you have platforms that you use. Uh, for connectivity management. What are some of the goods and the bads of the current level of platforms? I'm gonna let Cor answer that because he and I had a conversation yesterday about uh, there are many platforms that he's in the process of converging. The reason I get the big bucks is because I knew this. <laughs> so I'm just egging them on. Thank you for egging us on. <laughs> um, nothing works the same. <laughs> That's the that's the real con, uh, even in cellular. Uh, I think, and, and I'm not like trying to sell anything here, but we're plugged into maybe 25 different mobile network operators worldwide. Uh, we have sponsored MC, we uh, bought the Romy, if you will, our own core network. And uh, God forbid anybody actually do something the same way. Uh, there's very little standards. Uh, the standards don't, uh, aren't the same across each of the technologies. Um, so what we do is draw out normal, uh, normalization as best we can. Um, you know, the most robust, for instance, life cycle of a connection is in cellular. Uh, I think we, we support nine different uh, life cycles that you can take a, a cellular connection through. You don't think about it on your phone because it's active and it's always active. But in, in 
real life use cases in IoT. You want to suspend them. You don't want to pay for them at certain points. Uh, lots of different variations. But the way you manage a uh, satellite connection or a Wi-Fi connection or a Bluetooth connection is different, requires different protocols, different uh, methodology. But the, the idea of operationalizing it and managing it in a common pane of glass can be done. It just requires a lot on the back end. So if you can imagine anybody who's doing this holistically, and it's no different with devices, right? Every device has got its own capabilities, its own feature set. Um, it just requires a lot of back-end uh, interaction and orchestration, if you will. So pros and cons, but it can be done. And, and Sarah, when you look at uh, your product integration to these various platforms, I would assume it's just open API. I can manage the gateways and the routers. And so you're right. There's a lot of platforms out there. And from a multi-tech perspective, we've spent a lot of time and energy uh, trying to talk with all of them with no preference whatsoever. Um, and that's uh, as that platform, IoT platform space has exploded from a handful of people to 800 people, um, it just becomes untenable for an organization of our size. So in the last few years, we've kind of had to build breakdown into a short list. Um, simultaneously, um, there's been some technology advancement on the processing capability of um, edge device processors, which we're integrating today, um, and, a, and a drive to do some of that compute um, that we were previously just sending ones and zeros over the air, you know, indiscriminately, here's the data, here's the data, here's the data. Um, and letting and letting folks like our, our, our friends over at core sort them out for you um, today uh, that's becoming pretty expensive it's expensive from a bandwidth point of view it's also expensive just to store and to manipulate the data in the cloud um, so we're building a lot more of that commute compute um, capability into the device itself um, that said it, we're part of that building the compute into the edge device is also, making a native integration into some of the those platforms that have have met you know our criteria thus far to to say this is a, a platform we as a, an organization known for quality have confidence in um, so we're building in those protocols today so that you can have native integration into the platform of your choice so what's the one thing that I have not brought up yet? that has not been discussed that's on the tip of everybody's tongue in our space? Five G? What the, why do we care? Do we care about five G in the IOT space? Yes. Why? Because um. we have to sell around it or sell through it or sell with it? Those. Yes. Um, <laughs> all right. So, no, I got. I t I'm at seven already. Seven G, James. I got an email yesterday from Nokia talking about six. Oh yeah. Why not? We'll definitely be done by then. <laughs> you know, I think I think this show of all the use cases we talk about is is the penultimate for five G. Um, imagine every one of these robots on this floor being managed over a cellular connection. 
I, I'm not sure I would do that today, although, albeit it's possible over LTE, but 5G, for in a nutshell, is designed to do this. Yeah, and, and that's really a, a great, I mean, it's probably the simplest way I can put it. That's why we care, especially this show, this, this particular industry. Um, the latency, the capacity, the density, and the response, it's, it's, it's high, highly reliable. Um, all the things that, you know, let's face it, we still don't have an LTE network as, as amazing as it is, it's all coming with 5G. Um, not to mention the fact that it's built largely around small cells. Um, and we talked earlier about private networks and four or five small cells covering a warehouse. Well, those cells, I, I imagine, will become 5G cells very quickly. The economics work out, the, the type of service you need works out. The last thing you need are the devices and radios to work out. Uh, the economics there are usually what drives the, uh, the adoption. Okay, I guess I have a slightly different perspective. Uh, I think I think 5G is really important um, for the future. And by future, I mean not this year, not next year. I'm talking about 2030 and beyond. Um, you guys have problems that you need to solve in your operations right now. Um, and in many cases, 5G can't be the answer because it's not ready yet. I mean, it's just not ready. Uh, even the operators who are on your television set during the Super Bowl telling you 5G's here today. Um, it, it's in one place Yeah, or depends another, on what here is, right? <laughs> 5G yeah. is here, here in Atlanta, you know, if you don't go too far and uh, if you have the right hardware, um, you know, on a good clear day, maybe. Uh, but even but even in municipal areas where there's high density of human population, which is the carrier's first place to touch, and rightly so, given their business model, um, they're running into obstacles precisely because of the fact that 5G re requires a massive uh, infrastructure build out, um, and and they do use small cells, which means. Uh, they can't just put them on the towers they already have in place. They need to put them on top of buildings. Well, buildings are privately owned. They need to put them on municipal buildings and schools, and, and the government may or may not want to give them access to that right of way. Um, so they're running into a lot of problems, even in the more highly populated areas. Today, uh, the GSMA, which is the Global uh, Mobile Operator uh, Association, uh, is predicting 15% of all mobile connections to be on 5G by 2030. That's 2030, only 15% worldwide. Now, if you think about that really principally being made up of people like you and me on our smartphones, um, and, and, and extrapolate what are those industrial applications, um, there's a lot of stuff that's not gonna connect. Now, if you have your warehouse outside of a densely populated area, which many people do. The manufacturing facilities tend to be out of town. Um, some logistics happen in faraway distant places like mines. Um, those are places that aren't gonna be touched by 5G for a very long time, unless you deploy your own private network to that place. Correct. That said, there's a, for all the promise of 5G, there's a, still gonna be a lot of stuff out there that you wanna monitor that is only gonna send bits and bytes of data at very low intervals for which, although you can make an argument that MBIOT is a part of 5G, I, I'm willing to entertain that argument, 
Um, but, but ultimately, the promise of 5G isn't really compelling when you're only sending four or five bits of data a year, if that. And I think that's the case. I think when you look at 5G, you know, from a gaming standpoint, from a content standpoint, video standpoint, for us on our phones, really cool. Can't wait for it to be here. It's going to be a very cost-effective way to, to do that. But from an IoT perspective, we really haven't been able to figure, you know, there's, there's some use cases that are going to be really critically important, but not in the foreseeable future for what we're trying to accomplish. I think there's so many other lower cost, easier to deploy, safer options for you around IoT than, than worrying about whether I should get 5G put into my warehouse. That, that said, I, you know, I'm always hesitant to, you know, limit other people's view of the future based on the limitations of my own imagination, right? What's out there and what's known today right. um, is going to be different once 5G is ubiquitous. And so if, if you guys are out there innovating on 5G, I encourage you to do so. I can't wait to see what you guys come up with. <laughs> all right. We've uh, almost come to the end of our time. Any questions at all from anybody? We've only had one set of questions from this group. Thank you for that. Um, concluding comments on where we are, where we're headed on connectivity. What any crazy predictions for the next eighteen months? <laughs> Sarah, anything else? Did I stump? I did I stump everybody? I don't think I have any crazy predictions. I mean, I think we're going to continue to see. Uh, the number of connected things grow uh, in an exponential manner, kind of like the spread what of What about the biggest challenges? What do you see as the one of some of the biggest challenges over the next 18 months? Data security. I, I think you're seeing it in, in Europe uh, with GDPR, but, but even in the States, I think with the advent of so much information about so many things and people coming out, making it available, um, you know, we're, we're doing a lot of healthcare today uh, with HIPAA compliance. You know, that data leaving a device is going to need to be locked down. So I think security is going to be a huge uh, focus going forward with everything hitting the airwaves. Sarah? Yeah, I agree. Security is a very, very important. I think it's becoming less of a hindrance. Um, we're starting to get into uh, some agreed upon uh, standards that we can work against. Um, but security is a moving target, and it will always be a moving target. You know, in some ways, when you publish a standard uh, for encryption, you're publishing it to everybody. Uh, that means bad actors can access that standard as well and understand how you're doing that. So, you know, it's the kind of thing that you really have to build a culture, uh, an iterative innovative innovation culture around to be ahead of it. And I'm going to add that. From my consulting services on a worldwide basis, besides security and education, the idea of educating everybody within the ecosystem, our clients, as well as partners that are in this thing, the biggest one is systems integration and the integration of all of these things in a coherent way that allow everybody to manage the devices, manage the network, manage the security, manage the costs around it. And so we're looking at a need that someone's going to have to step up and be the single throat to choke when it comes to integrating everything that we're trying to do within a warehouse or a manufacturing facility or even outside the facility. So uh, if any of you have about five, 10 million bucks, 
I would love to go into business with you to build an IoT systems integration company, and I can leave all this other crap behind and go from there. So with that said, we're done. Um, and so we're gonna move directly into the next segment, which is gonna be about in-building systems. And the great thing about it is, is to, in this session you have two Steves, the next session you will have two Browns. And so maybe two's the right number for today. So Todd, you ready? Sure. Excellent. Thank you, I guess um, Elba, there we go. <laughs> and I think we might have James as well. James doing something over there? I think James is going to come up here as well with there. us. When he gets ready. You stuck with me again. Hopefully you enjoyed the last session. <laughs> the good news is you can ask James some questions this time. Put him on the spot. Yeah, talent um, in this space is a real uh, pinch right now, I think. It's Pretty interesting. We're working with quite a lot of uh, the university community around Howard. the world, um, and they do have some programs. But even even with the the folks that are working with this technology in the university setting, um, they say things to me like, you know, w we solve these problems with these technologies in this setting, but it's very sterile. We bring we bring. Uh, interns who are doing that kind of schoolwork into our facility, and we do all our own forward and reverse logistics. We manufacture right in our headquarters facility here in the U.S., um, and they're like, wow, you know, it's really, really different to be in the real world than in a university laboratory where everything's super controlled, right? Sorry, we're continuing on here. So oh, no problem. get stuck with the same person so two panels in a row. <laughs> well, let's just get started then. So this, this session's on uh, in-building systems. Um, I have Sarah Brown, Vice President of Marketing uh, with Multitech, in case any of you showed up after the introduction on the last session. And James Brem, the, I guess he's not up there, but the CEO and Chief Evangelist for IoT of James Brem & Associates. Uh, so, just to kind of start off, what I'd probably like to do is maybe have each of you just introduce yourself for the people that walked in new, and especially James, tell us about uh, your company, and maybe touch base on kind of what you, what you consider, you know, in-building systems. Okay, I'm Sarah Brown. Uh, for those of you who just joined, I'm VP of Marketing for Multitech. Uh, we manufacture communications hardware for the industrial internet of things, um, including a, a subset of that larger space, which we actually call smart spaces. Um, so that would include smart cities as well as smart buildings because a lot of the technologies from our perspective are, are, are similar or, or related, if you will. Um, we do have a manufacturing facility in Moundsview, Minnesota, um, right downstairs from my office there. 
and, um, and we do, as I said, handle our own forward and reverse logistics, we do manage our supply chain, what have you, which uh, since from tariffs to coronavirus, uh, I have had the opportunity to learn a lot about, um, for a marketing person anyway. Um, so uh, in building systems for us and our customers are really quite varied. Um, you could talk about anything from HVAC to access control, uh, to room occupancy, um, elevator management, you know, toilet cleaning, is there soap in the soap dispenser? There's so many things in any building, whether that's a manufacturing or a warehouse type facility or a conference center or a hotel or a hospital, um, there's just a lot of stuff to look out for and manage. Uh, it's been really interesting talking to facilities managers um, from various industries around the world the last few years to really understand uh, some of the some of the things that they're trying to monitor and why. Um, I'll give you my, my favorite example, which is uh, toilet flushing. I met the facilities manager at the Sands Venetian Palazzo Complex in Las Vegas, and um, for several years he came and he walked a show that we exhibited at, and he was looking for a way to monitor how many times each toilet in, the, in that complex was flushed. Now, if you have ever been to Las Vegas um, and this particular facility, you can only imagine how many different toilets he's talking about monitoring. Um, and so I asked him, okay, so why do you need to know when each one of these things was flushed? And he had a KPI associated with managing the amount of uh, water consumption that went through that building. And so one of the things he hoped to do was find low traffic areas where he could actually shut down bathrooms that weren't being used. Um, also to manage uh, any leaks that might be happening. About fast forward six months and I meet uh, a, another gentleman. He's the facilities manager of the Mall of America, which is a neighbor to our headquarters facility in Minnesota. Um, and he wants to know um, every time that a toilet in his building is flushed. To which I respond, great, I know this use case. You must be trying to reduce your water consumption at the facility. And he says, no, no, no. Uh, in January, many of our uh, retailers will come up for renewal on their lease. And what we wanna know is what are the most heavily trafficked bathrooms in the building so that we can prove a reason to charge a premium for the retail location's nearest most heavily trafficked bathroom, which was a completely different use case and something I wasn't expecting to hear at all, but smart, right? And I think it's, it's interesting. Can I solve the problem for the guy at the Venetian? Yes. Can I solve the problem for the guy at the, at, uh, the Mall of America? Yes, and we have. Um, but the problem is two different problems. It's exactly the same technology deployed in exactly the same way. James? So I'm James Brem, I'm the CEO and uh, Chief Technology Evangelist for James Brem and Associates. We are a market research and consulting firm focused on IoT, data, uh, connectivity space. But <clears throat> I'm also an off-going board member of CABA, which is the Continental Automated Buildings Association, um, which focuses on, um, and, I, and you know, I spent a couple of years on the board of directors there with mul multiple vendors, most it, basically a vendor-led, vendor-driven uh, organization looking for interoperability of these solutions because quite frankly, in the building management space, everybody wants to focus on building standards as long as they're their own, right? <laughs> and, and 
you know, and, and it's not like any, uh, any other industry as well. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. You, you talked about those two use cases for, for, for water, and, um, and, and in one of the projects we got involved with was with Costco on, on their water usage and water consumption, and, and they wanted to be able to measure um, uh, water in, in their organization. And, and why? Just from a green standpoint, they have that culture. They want to be low uh, risk, low harm users. So they've actually deployed a LoRaWAN network, or they uh, employed a, uh, a company to deploy a LoRaWAN network in every one of their facilities around the world, whether it be a warehouse, distribution center, or store, um, with multiple water sensors, and it measures the water consumption, say, in the irrigation in the yard, in the facility, um, uh, on the rooftops with the, with the evaporative coolers, and they can determine where water leakage or water wastage occurs, whether it be the guy washing the meat saw too long back in the meat department versus a toilet flapper um, not, not completely closing uh, in a toilet. Um, so the analytics on this type of stuff um, is, is getting to the point where it really matters to organizations. Lights, water, power usage, right? When I, when I think of, of, of the building's uh, uh, consumption of energy and, and usage, water is probably one of the biggest offenders um, because the EPA estimates it takes about 14% of the power generated in the United States to pump, heat, push, and purify the water. If you can reduce, that's 14% of all power, all electricity generated. So if you can reduce that, uh, a couple percentage points, right? If you can reduce the amount of water used, a couple percentage points, it really uh, has meaningful impact. So. Yeah, and I mean, I think a lot of the use cases people don't understand, and I want to get into something, uh, but when you, when you think about buildings, I mean, think about this conference center. Uh, you've got all these lights on. All of them cost money, probably pretty significant amount of money. And you think of smart sensors for lighting uh, where you can have them shut off automatically when people aren't, when certain spaces here are not being used. When people walk into it, they can turn back on. All those types of things save money. And so when you compare that to any size facility out there, clean water, lighting, air conditioning, uh, any other type of sensors, access. There's a lot of things that go around building systems. Um, one of the things and kind of question maybe I have you guys talk about it is the business model around that. So, you know, I see it as a couple of different business models and I think, uh, I think there's also some hybrid models, but maybe let them talk about it in regards to, do you put these devices in yourself and try to manage it all yourself? Uh, do you get a provider to install everything? Do you do a fully managed solution where they can put everything in and manage it all for you? Um, and I think, I think that's important for people to know in terms of building systems of what approach to take and what might work depending on the facility size and those things. So maybe you could talk about the different business models associated with in building systems. So I think it depends, right? I mean, uh, what are you going to, we talked about this in the last session, what are you trying to accomplish and what's it worth to you? Whether you make or buy 
there's another question. What kind of talent do you have uh, on your on your staff? I mean, I, I have a good friend who's the facilities manager for UNC Hospitals, um, which is not one facility, but m many facilities across the state of North Carolina. Um, and how he progressed his way into that was not through a technology, um, you know, Trajectory, career trajectory. He was a maintenance man, right? And now he's the master maintenance man for many, many hospital facilities. And you know, you could look at a a, a building like this or a building like that, and and see very a lot of similarities in terms of the systems. Except with the hospital situation now, now you've sometimes got the ability of those systems to op operate properly being a matter of life and death. Yeah. So, um, you know, I mean, I think. Does a guy, you know, who's good with a wrench, try to deploy and manage his own uh, multi-network building system? Uh, probably not. Um, can he source and find, you know, a, a viable solution for for solving his problem? Absolutely, he can, and it matter. It boils down to, you know, what's it worth, and what's the hospital willing to pay for it? Yeah, and I would add to that too. On the hospitals, is a good example because you've also got. Uh, the freezers. We had a we had a session yesterday about you know cold cold monitoring and the freezers with the samples that they maintain and what temperature levels they have to maintain them at and you know if they outsource that. So that's a very good example of hospitals incorporating everything. Yeah. Cooling is is huge. Um, you talk about it from that standpoint. The gentleman that was on the panel yesterday, um, we, he and I talked last night, and he said. <coughs> that their company actually designed uh, a building management solution for Coca-Cola. And that building management solution isn't for Coca-Cola's buildings, it's for buildings where Coca-Cola machines and, uh, and beverages are stored. And, and the reason they did that is, you think of a baseball stadium. Is it used every day? Does that, does that bottled soda need to be cooled all day long every day? Think of this convention center, the, the, the number of, of soda machines that are out there in the, in the corridor. Do they need to be on all the time? No, right? So th they actually utilize motion and, and time sensors to determine actually the best time to do that. Um, but if, if we go back to the general topic of in-building solutions, um, just as itself, it's kind of like IoT. IoT isn't a thing, and neither are building management solutions. <laughs> They're systems of systems. Yeah. These manufacturers want to, if it's a lighting company, does not want to um, tie their um, business to the elevator company or right the the brand recognition. Right. It, well, it's not just brand recognition. It's it's a matter of controlling the contracts as well, right? Contractors, when they're building this stuff, are going out and, and, and getting different bids for different things, and they don't want to be left out in the cold, right? So, so why tie myself to something that could fail? Why tie myself, I'm Cree, why tie myself to Honeywell, who, who, who could tie themselves to Schindler, who somebody's had an adverse reaction to a Schindler escalator sometime and decides he wants Kone instead and, and you know, I, I lose the bid, right? 
there's a lot of that stuff. I, I've talked to multiple uh, managers of buildings, and it just depends on what is your pain point as to how they address these solutions as well. Um, one guy that owns 17 properties in, in uh, Texas, large properties from office buildings to warehouse and distribution centers. Um, uh, talking to Randy, I said, what's your biggest issue? He said, I don't care if it's at the distribution center or if it's at the office building. My biggest issue right now is parking. This is his biggest issue. It's parking. It's being able to get vehicles in and out effectively, not jamming things up, even at the distribution center level. It's the management of the parking of the trucks. It's the movement of them. In, in, in building solutions, uh, in, in office solutions, it's being able to measure the amount of people that you have coming in and having enough parking spaces for them. Then you talk to somebody that's maybe in, and, and this is in Texas, you, you go to a more dense urban area and I talk to people that are building large uh, distribution centers outside of New York City and I talk to people that are building also office buildings and, and, and uh, high-rise in, in New York City and they talk about being able to move either the materials fast across the distribution center through, through conveyor practices or moving people and assets up and down effectively, right? We can charge more for rent if our elevators are synchronized. Um, a lot of these electromagnetic ele uh, elevators are the, are the most, uh, the largest draw of electricity in a building as well, more so than water, more so than than lighting, it's because when they're static, when they're sitting there and, and they're actually drawing more energy than when they're moving. So it, it just depends on what the pain point is for the person to be being able to address these. And I don't see a solution in the near term that ties all of this stuff together. And it's very similar to smart cities where, Sarah, you know I made the statement, there is no such thing as a smart city. Which I agree with. Right? It's a bunch of smart silos, maybe, at best. I got the, the head of smart cities for the city of Los Angeles on a panel who admit that he's, there is no such thing as a smart city, that his best hope is to abstract, have abstract data at the top level from all these different silos that he can take a look at and pinpoint and change things. And I think that's the same thing in these buildings as being able to tie my lighting system into my HVAC system, into my connectivity management system, right, and make important decisions there. Well, and you're talking about um, new construction. And new construction is, you know, it's a green field. You can, you can start from scratch and you can connect those systems, but the fact of the matter is most of us are moving in and out of buildings that have been there for a long time. It's a brownfield opportunity, and I think when you think about your buyer being a facilities management type person, um, they already have a handful of suppliers that they work with. One of those is a, a key account for us, for example. Um, they sell soap and hand sanitizer and paper towels and toilet paper, what they call consumables. They've been doing it uh, for more than 125 years. Um, now they want to transition their business to, from just you know showing up once a week with X gallons of soap um, to soap as a service, on-demand soap, as needed, just-in-time soap, right? 
Um, and so they're doing that with some connectivity technology, monitoring soap dispensers, okay? Is there soap in it or not? Do I need to refill it or not? They can tell you that. How are they doing it? They're deploying a LoRaWAN network over their customers' facilities. It's their network, it's their customers' facilities. So if you imagine that they, they work at UNC hospitals, which most likely they do, uh, that they supply hotels and convention centers, which for sure they do, um, and they deploy a LoRaWAN network in each of those facilities into which they're selling soap and paper towels and toilet papers. Now you have uh, connected a bunch of brownfield assets that are already out there and you're driving new value from those existing assets. Plus, you have a low cost, low power network covering that facility. Now I'm a facilities manager and I say to myself, gee, now I have this network connectivity out here. What if, what if it could tell me every time one of the toilets flushed, right? What if it could tell me whether the lights are on and off in this part of the building, um, whether this door is open or closed? I mean, the uh, building systems are, at their simplest, a series of on-off, yes-no kind of questions. Is the door open? Is it closed? One or zero? Um, and so once you start asking that question, do I need paper towels or not? Do I need to refill this soap container or not? And you have the, the infrastructure in place to do that, then you can start adding a whole bunch of yes, no questions to your brownfield applications that are out there. Well, if that customer is the one I'm thinking it is, they also have other business models where they're selling, say, um, the um, uh, large industrial laundry machines into these same types of organizations. Yep. And they have a different business model of quality of how white is the linen coming out, right? And measuring their SLA of their washing machine based on, on, on that type of thing too. Is it dispensing the correct amount of soap? Well, it's a lot of bleach, compliance right? measures, yeah. right? Absolutely. Regulatory compliance yeah. measures associated with, are you using the right water temperature and the right amount of soap to sanitize bed linens or uh -oh, uh, coronavirus. dinner dishes or Coronavirus. Or I'm saying, you know, I, I brought my wipes. It's cool. I wiped down this microphone and, before I said And I guess that, that's a good point, too. You talk <laughs> about the soap dispensers. Uh, you know, in a similar fashion, you know, when you're looking into in-building sy systems like this, you know, the other option is, you know, find out. Are there companies out there that are providing solutions like this that you could contact that could easily come in and sort of integrate that with you? Um, yeah, I think the other thing that's... Um, interesting, I think it's driving activity in the smart spaces, and I'll include smart cities here, is uh, emergency response. Um, some of the newer application sets that we're seeing in smart spaces um, include things like, is somebody sitting on that chair right now or not, right? How many people are in this room? We had a really interesting case in the UK um, with their public housing authority um, they have issues with units that are meant to be occupied, which for some reason are not, and units which are not meant to be occupied uh, where squatters have taken residence. Um, and they actually use LoRa technology to uh, basically monitor, they're using a CO2 sensor to determine if somebody's there or not. Okay, so uh, if the room is occupied, 
you're getting some kind of a you know occupied reading with the carbon dioxide. If it's not occupied and you're expecting somebody to be there, maybe you need to go check and make sure that somebody is in there breathing, right? Um, similarly, they, they use temperature because apparently they have quite an issue where people who um, have heavily constrained um, incomes and, and access to, to dollars will will cut corners on things like uh, their heating and cooling and create for themselves an unsafe environment um, by dropping the heat too low. Um, so they're monitoring things like that in an office environment. Candidly, I think it's a little bit creepy. You know, am I sitting at my desk? Am I typing on my PC? Um, you know, I hope that people just trust me to be there. But then again, when you think about emergency situations, and uh, we've we've seen them in the past, you know, you want to know who's in who's in this room, and if you have to evacuate, did we get everybody out? I wanted to maybe back up just a second. Uh, you mentioned earlier about new builds, so uh, obviously, I think a lot of the the need for this comes into existing infrastructure, existing buildings having to go in and retrofit them, trying to find, you know, and, and in-building systems. Obviously, when you talk about lighting, you're obviously including, well, you've got to get LED and you've got to do these other things from a cost perspective. But looking at new builds, when companies continue to expand, they, they build a new facility, uh, whatever the case may be, when they're doing that is, I mean, are, are they completely wrong if they're not looking at integrating these smart systems into their new builds when they put them in. Because uh, from a simplicity standpoint, it's typically gonna be a lot easier to build these systems in when it's being built as opposed to trying to come in later. So I'm just curious if you have an opinion on that. Sure. We can. Yeah. Go ahead. Just to clarify a little bit, because you've been citing a lot of one-off use cases, and mm -hmm. as you correctly pointed out, it's a system of systems and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. But a lot of this has been discussed, say, for the last five years or so, so there's gotta be some progress, maybe not as much as people expect, but the fact is is that, uh, are, are you finding that uh, uh, property owners or property managers are, are looking at it on a one-off like water? or are they looking at something like water, heat, electricity, something that's getting closer to managing the, the, the core functionality of the building? Uh, could you speak to kind of what the trend is at this point in time? Uh, uh, because uh, five years ago, having attended a, a real estate conference, they talked about these types of smart buildings. But I'd be kind of curious to see where, where what has progressed and what's still staying the same. I think maybe Sarah probably. So, so when I think about these smart spaces, whether it's buildings or cities, um, I think as a subset of the Internet of Things, that community is a little bit behind. They are where other parts of the machine-to-machine -machine IoT community was 20 years ago, right? Building very use case specific siloed applications um, and thinking about how they can join them later. Um, to your point, I think the question is, you know, what's the value you expect to get out of that? I mean, you expect people to pay more to rent space in your new office building because, you know, you, you can tell them how many bodies are in that room. Maybe, maybe you can sell that. Probably not to me. 
but you know, I mean, I think the question is, if you're gonna build it, yeah, it's gonna be a lot easier to build it, you know, from, from the ground up than to go back and retrofit. Um, but whether, you know, it's dumb not to do that necessarily yeah. is, you know, a, a question of, you know, how are you gonna sell this? And we only, we only design and build things we know we can sell, because otherwise we're wasting our time and energy. Well, I think maybe some of it is with the customer what their demands are when there's larger buildings. But I think we had a question over here. I, I, want, I want to hear his question, because he was trying to narrow yep. your question. Uh -huh. And that question tied in nicely with yours. And I'm going to wait, because I'm going to go on a rant uh -oh. on this one. <laughs> Having come from Kaba, uh, I'll go on a rant on this one. So uh, just maybe real quick, what is Laura wondering when you get a chance? Laura, when you've, you've used the term like five times, and I'm yep. not necessarily familiar with it. But I'm fortunate enough to be in a greenfield scenario, and if you, you, you guys have mentioned HVAC, occupancy control, elevators, uh, lights, water, power uses. If I, had to do, if I had to pick the two most highest ROI things for me to focus on, would it be the power and the water? Would those be the two things that I would want connected? What's your geography? And what type of buildings? It's a it's a 215,000 square foot warehouse and a 35,000 square foot office building. So maybe 150 office people and about 100 warehouse people. Geography? Yeah. Part part of the country? Yeah, yeah. It, it it's not within a major city. It's 30 miles outside of a city. But here in they, the U.S. Any, right. Pittsburgh, South okay, Pittsburgh. Okay. So, so I can get temperatures, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. when, when, oh, you, yeah, when you're asking, cold. what is it going to be? So biggest impact is probably going to be heating and cooling and lighting, right? Yep. Right, in, in, that, in those types of buildings. Now, if you're in um, Seattle, San Francisco, New York City, and you're going with high rises, um, you can get by with, and, and, and believe it or not, you can actually charge more, a lot more, um, for speed of the elevator usage, believe it or not, and, 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 and doing that. Uh, Hudson Yards is proving it. They're charging more for rents for, for companies in New York City um, based on synchronization of their, of their lifts. Um, but but what, what I kind of wanted to do is go back to a little bit of a rant. So it hasn't been, you know, last five years we've been talking about this stuff. I've been a member of CABA for nearly 15 years. And Kaba is every one of the major building systems companies are members. Who aren't members? The REITs, the building owners, the property managers, right? Um, and, and they have their own alliance and they have their own issues. And really what they're really advocating around are tax issues and, 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 and things like that as opposed to the building systems. And it's amazing to me that finally now today, those guys are getting into, into this, into the, the building automation and building systems discussions. But the biggest issue is, um, and, and, and Todd, you, you started off with this, in a, in a greenfield solution, if you're building a building from scratch, wouldn't you integrate it now? And, and, and the answer is no, it, it has to be no because of the way that we're building and buying and, 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 and these, these things. 
we're going out to bid with contractors and general contractors. They have to have in mind, let's use the best type of products. And the other thing is from a building management standpoint, I don't think we're ever gonna get um, Honeywell and United Technologies and ABB to put their hands together and sing Kumbaya. They're gonna continue to push their own solutions out there and, and, and that's great because that's where innovation comes from. But we're seeing new, we've also thought that carriers or, or cable MSOs or somebody like that, because this ultimately at the end of the day is communications of these systems would be the saviors. But they don't get it. All they know, you know, AT&T is my biggest customer and thank God nobody from AT&T I don't think is in this room, but they're just humble plumbers, right? They know how to get the plumbing from A to B, right? They don't know. They don't know how to, how to actually create these, these intelligent solutions. But there's companies out there that are starting to finally um, get their hands on and partner with the building automation guys, and create software to make it easy. Um, it was last year at CES, Con Consumer Electronics Show, that Synchronos, the same guys that that made wh when the iPhone came out, you couldn't actually, you couldn't actually turn it on the first first two days that the iPhone came out. I don't know if anybody remembers this. Because you bought them at the Apple store two days before they got to AT&T. AT&T was the first. And, and you couldn't activate it from the Apple store. You actually had to walk into an AT&T store and make somebody activate it until Synchronos figured out the software to be able to do it remotely. These are smart guys that only do software solutions. This is a software problem. I don't care if it's an escalator, an elevator, lighting, or water. Ultimately, at the end of the day, there are software problems. And Synchronos actually built its first uh, unified building management platform, which API, it, it takes, a, uh, it, it basically uses APIs from the various solutions to a very simple dashboard. And their problem right now with that is they got something that's really cool and really good, but they're going to the wrong channel to sell it. They're going to AT&T and Verizon to sell it to the building guys. They need to take it direct, but they don't have a sales force to sell directly to the REIT, right? Or the property owner. And, and that's our problem. It's, it's, at the end of the day, it's a software problem and a business model that needs to, needs to change. And we keep doing things the way been, we've been doing things for, for years and years. And, and, and I think he, he had a second part of the question on the, the Lorelein. Oh, so I, I'll, I'll address it. Um, Laura is a low-power wide area networking technology. Um, it's good for, for buildings like warehouses, also uh, mines and things like that. It's very low cost, uh, long battery life. Um, and it's great for sensor networking. And whether you decide um, that uh, heating and air conditioning and lighting are your most important concerns or water, um, you know, we, we manufacture a facility in, in Minnesota. Minnesota has extreme weather, uh, which is why uh, James was asking you about geography. Um, you may or may not know this if you don't manufacture or handle electronics. Humidity is the enemy of electronics manufacturing um, in Minnesota uh, in the summertime. It can get humid. Uh, we pump water out of our facility. Um, in the wintertime, 
when it's cold outside, it's also quite dry, and we add moisture to the ambient air inside of our facility um, to maintain a continuous 42% humidity level inside our building at all times, regardless of what's happening outside and who's there and who's not and how many machines are running or lines are, are not being used, um, whether the gates are open in the uh, loading dock or not. It's got to be 42% humidity, no more, no less, on our manufacturing floor, full stop. Um, so some of the sensors that we have deployed, um, you wouldn't be surprised to learn, actually, are extremely commonly used. In fact, James and his team did a, a study for us to ask what kind of sensors people were using across all different IoT applications, and we found that temperature and humidity were the most commonly used sensors. Um, after that, flow. Interestingly, uh, for your purposes, flow uh, sensors can measure both electricity flow and water flow. If you find it, clamp a sensor on a pipe that's transmitting water, it'll tell you if the water is flowing through there at the rate you expect. If you clamp it onto your inbound power supply, it'll tell you whether power is flowing through there or not. Um, so. You can do that with LoRaWAN, uh, depending on the sensors that you use. There are other technologies you can do it with as well. Um, and you'll have to look at you know, how, how easy to use they are, how easy to manage they are. Um, but ultimately, when you, when you go to what are your top couple of problems, uh, HVAC, um, electricity, water, top, sort of top everybody's list, um, you're, you're down to four or five sensors, and how you connect them is, really depends on, you know, what you expect to get out of them and what you can afford to, to pay for it. You know, I didn't think I'd ever get this opportunity because Sarah used to be the head of marketing for the Laura Alliance as well. But I'm going to tack something on about Laura. Um, phenomenal for in-building penetration. Um, it's phenomenally resistant to packet collisions. It is, um, it, you can use licensed spectrum or you can use unlicensed, which is the 868, 900 megahertz um, spectrum. So you can just set up a gateway in your facility. And when I say tremendous in-building penetration, how about underground penetration as well, right? People are utilizing it for, for water meters and electric meters that are underground. And, and then I guess the, the, the last thing is it's incredibly resilient uh, technology. So distance uh, is amazing as well. So you can, you can do it from a campus-wide standpoint. You can do it from a nationwide standpoint. And then we're seeing, uh, and, and yesterday it was announced by Everynet that they're going to be building a nationwide uh, carrier neutral wholesale LoRaWAN network. So people can actually jump onto that LoRaWAN network, you know, uh, and, and, and utilize it as well. Um, it, just to add, I think it, it, something else that's really interesting for um, supply chain management, um, uh, your LoRaWAN connected endnote, whatever it is that you're trying to track, um, can communicate with multiple LoRaWAN gateways, and it can tell you, okay, this has left the warehouse, and it's on a truck. It's left the truck, now it's on a train, right? Um, and now we're actually working now on um, 2.4 gigahertz LoRa protocol 
um, to enable maritime shipping because 2.4 gigahertz is an uh, international open uh, spectrum band that, uh, that we're using with a couple of maritime shippers so that uh, you can track the thing across the ocean and then connect it to another LoRa gateway when it gets to its destination somewhere else on Earth. Let me see, uh, are there any other questions? Not then. Maybe uh, you can give a little Two bit. Two minutes. Two yeah. minutes. Two minute warning. <laughs> uh, so maybe James, uh, I guess maybe your final thoughts on uh, just steps on, on on getting started. What to analyze initially? I know we talked about looking at your different things, but I I is there a simple way to for them to look at their business, look at their costs? You know, try to analyze if this is a, a feasible solution. No. A simple answer is no. It's not easy. Seriously. It, it, what really um, I think is, is, is the thing that I would recommend is address your pain points. It isn't, it isn't, it isn't a simple way to, to determine a solution. It's a, there is a simple way to determine your pain points, and that's make a list of all the, all the issues that you currently have and some that you expect to come across, right? And, 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 and while you're doing that, then um, reach out to, to the companies that have been here uh, that have sponsored and, and have spoken you know, with us here or to ourselves um, ab about what, the, what solutions uh, there are out there. As Sarah said, every one of the building automation companies out there, I don't know one that's not using Laura. But they're also not using. They're, they're also using Bluetooth wi and cellular mm -hmm. and Wi-Fi, right? Um, and and you use the right solution for the right problem. And it's a and it's ulti ultimately going to be a combination. And at some point in time, the way that today Qualcomm is building chips for our smartphones that have cellular, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth in them. We're going to see the cost of production of, of this silicon come down so that we, we have a, uh, a cellular, a Wi-Fi, a Bluetooth, Sigfox, God forbid, um, LoRaWAN. Uh, it could, uh, you know, there are so many different uh, solutions that, that could be very much embedded in, in that silicon. Or I'll, I'll throw out a, a term that, we've been talking about for 10 years as well, that's software-defined radio, where it's actually gonna be one chip and control it via software. Yeah, and I, I think to James's point, and even to your own point earlier, you know, um, you don't have to do this, you know, from scratch by yourself. There are some of us who've seen it and worked with folks like you on similar solutions. I would just really counsel you to go and find um, vendors that you feel like you can trust who have experience with that because um, otherwise, you know, everybody who wants to connect their building systems is reinventing the wheel and that doesn't advance anything for any of us and it's guaranteed to be a huge headache for you. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. And this stuff is getting refined so much, so fast in emerging areas of the world and we're bringing the best of that to the U.S. So uh, I want you to think about this. There's a million, uh, roughly, 
uh, rounding error, million elevators in the United States. There's a million new elevators a year in China. Right. Yeah. That's a fact, right? Um, you know, just think about when India comes online the way that China has the past few years. Um, Indonesia's getting connected. Uh, every net that was here and spoke yesterday just signed a deal with Indonesia on connectivity from, from, from a lower standpoint with the uh, president of Indonesia. I mean, it's, the, the population centers are coming online and that's gonna, we're lucky. There was a uh, earlier session with Jim Katsara. He showed a, a, a map of where the connectivity hotspots are and, and user groups are. We're lucky that we'll get it first. They'll, they'll do it there, experiment, get it online, it'll break. We'll get it when it's a, a solution and we'll be able to roll it out. Okay, well, thank you guys for your time. And uh, thanks for coming out. Thank everyone for paying for the event. I hope you guys learned some stuff. Thanks, Todd.